This is a Bulldog Radio Podcast. Me, Brandon Worth, my co host. We don't have Travis joining us today, Brandon, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we'll get it rolling with just us two. Yeah, it's unfortunate Travis can't join us, but of course, the show goes on, and we apologize for our small hiatus. Everybody's been a little busy with their, their jobs as of late. Of course, Travis starting his new position with uh, Royal Oak Leprechauns, and my my work has now officially begun. So, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I know, Joe, you're really busy, so we. We'll continue the show. It's been tough, but we're going to continue busy, the show. Busy, busy. But we always have a yeah. great show for you today. Lots of great things to go into. Before we start, huge shout out to Bulldog Radio for making our show possible. If you want to check out more podcasts and more on Fair State, at Fair State University and even start your own, like me and Joe did, you can check them out on all the social media platforms you see in front of you. Mm-hmm. We can fully endorse them because they're cool people. But moving into the NBA, we've got a lot to chat about with the award winners. Um, of course, the number one we need to talk about is the man, the myth, the legend, Nikola Jokic, winning the MVP. I got to say, this was really cool. I think he was very deserving. I think there's a lot of great candidates you could put in this category. But I think on top, Joe, I think we could agree that the Joker's just been too good this year not to win. For sure. He's been... Absolutely lights out. I just laughed because when he got drafted, the uh, uh, I saw a stat. It was like uh, Nikola Jokic outlasted the Quesarito. Yes, drafted, he was on the Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> he yeah, got drafted the during the Taco Bell commercial. Jokic, Jokic was around two, like pick, uh, like pick thirty or something. Like he was near the end of it, and it was it's it's crazy to see that he was able to get uh, come that far with his with his career. And, and he did absolutely dominate. He's been one of the main reasons why he's been, like, it's been so good for the past couple of years. He's a big man who can really do it all. He can shoot, pass, move the ball around. He's really kind of the centerfold, the centerpiece of their uh, their offense and defensive movement. So I think he's one guy who's really changed the way that they've been able to play. And I think they have a really good chance of winning the winning the chip this year. They got a good, I mean, they got some of the hard teams out of the way. They got a couple of guys that they got to face. But nonetheless, congratulations to him. He deserves it. He's come a really long way from when he got drafted to win. Uh, he's just been the new guy on the block, and he's just a guy for the Nuggets who's just been lights out. Yeah, and I mean, for a guy that got 30, 20, and 10 the other night, well, that's that's rounded, of course, not the actual stats, but just the man that a big man gets 30 points, 20 boards, and then adds on 10 assists, that's something we have not seen in a long time. I mean, Kareem and those guys didn't even get those type of numbers. It just shows you what the Joker can do. I mean, I... Yeah, it's, it's insane. I mean, 26 points per game, 10 boards, 8 assists. That man has been pretty much the reason that Denver is still chugging in the playoffs. They lost Jamal Murray. That was a huge part. He was a huge part of that bubble run last year. We all know that he could take over. And I know definitely we can remember back to the, the game against Utah where him and Donovan Mitchell went back and forth and put on an absolute fireworks show. But at the end of the day, Koa Jokic has been pretty much the foundational piece of this franchise and he continues to be and I mean just the fact is how many great things he's done for the organization around I mean right now they're in a spot where 
They're not in the most favorable position, trailing right now, uh, three nothing against the Suns. But I think anything's possible. But I mean, if they can, if he can get hot again, they can definitely put a fight up in this series. And um, of course, we'll talk about this later. But at the end of the day, I think Nikola Jokic saw one of the best regular seasons that we've ever seen. Of course, there were some other guys you could throw into that mix as well. Um, I mean, some people even like CP3 in that spot. I think CP3 has done a great, great things for that team. And I mean, ultimately, <laughs> might see him beat Jokic in the Nuggets later on. But you got to respect what Nikola Jokic has done and just the regular season he had. I mean, from start to finish, he's always been at the conversation and if not at the top of the podium amongst the contenders. Yeah, he's been insane. A couple of other awards. I know Thibodeau from the Knicks, he won Coach of the Year. Rightfully so. He was he's just been able to turn that uh, that organization around especially since so many of Knicks fans especially have just been giving up hope on that team uh I know Rudy Gobert obviously run uh defensive player of the year I think that's what three or four years in a row mm-hmm. uh, he's just been lights out I can't a couple six man is escaping me I can't remember who won six man oh um it was it was uh Jordan Clarkson that's who it was. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, it's just awesome to see all these, all these, uh, all these guys being coaches, players, um, alike, just being able to kind of show off and being able to be recognized for for their accolades and for their accomplishments in the season. When it's just been uh, insane to see, especially for kind of getting back into normal now with NBA with all these sports and stuff too. Just to see kind of the familiarity of seeing the award shows, seeing these players show out, really good. Yeah, I think I'm. You mentioned Tom Thibodeau as coach of the year. I think he deserves it by a long shot. I mean, you could put so. I mean, you could maybe put Andy McMullen. Um, um, excuse me. Um, you could definitely bring in um the Hawks in that conversation as far as Coach of the Year. But I think what Tom Thibodeau has done, he turned that franchise around. I mean, the Hawks already had the pieces there. Knicks really didn't have a lot. They they really didn't have a good foundation. I mean, they were shipping pieces off left and right in the regular season, and it's just a fact like. Hmm, this is a little what what are they gonna do? And they bring in Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, most improved player for a reason. That guy's been dominant. I took him in my dynasty sleeper league, which I am <laughs> very excited about. Um so but I mean all these pieces around, they bring in Derek Rose from the Pistons and it makes him even better. And I mean, really, they got so many great pieces right now. I know that their their season ended at the hands of the Hawks. But you gotta respect what this, what Tom Thibodeau has done to like pretty much change the dynamic around this team. They fit all the pieces together. They got a lot of young talent coming in. Obviously, we still got really got to see. We still have to see what Obi Toppin can do because we never really saw him this year with injury, and they've done this well without him. I mean, Mitchell Robinson was out for I think it was like a six or seven week span. I don't even think he's back yet, and like like they're still dominating and they still made a great playoff run i mean obviously would have been better if they would have continued but at the end of the day i think that was well deserved and i mean rudy gobert uh i mean there was some draymond green in that conversation but i think you i think what you just see with rudy gobert is just such more magnifying compared to what draymond does because draymond does a lot of so sometimes his defense can get just a little bit like under kind of yeah it's just kind of I feel like that's the way it is because like Rudy Gobert is a guy that you can stick like in the paint and you know for sure that whoever the opposite five man is is going to have a depleted game. Like they're they're not going to be on yeah. their game compared to normal where sometimes it's like 
I mean, Draymond's a great defensive player, but I think just the the pat the impact of what that changes to the game, as far as what Rudy Gobert does, it it's just it's just that a next level type thing. And I think you can definitely put those two in the conversation for it every year. But at the end of the day, how much Rudy Gobert impacts it compared to Draymond Green, where he has a little bit of other skills? I think that's where Gobert has the little bit of the edge. But still, I think there was a it was a really fun year. I mean, you had all these new these new players that were really stepping out. Julius Randle, of course, being one of them. And I mean, you still got like a lot of new teams in the playoff. Like Lakers are gone, and all these other great teams that were just a little bit under the radar are kind of just creeping their way up there and it's super fun to see and I guess we can now move into um, more of the playoff talk um, with starting with the Bucks right now trailing the Nets two to one but they did get the win yesterday um, despite Giannis's 10 second free throw violations which we can get, yeah, get there in a minute talk about, let me talk about that go right. ahead that annoys the crap out of me because usually he's two or three seconds over and when you have the clock going above the court on the jumbotron saying how far he's up I just don't know how he just hasn't been called more for it. That's just one thing that annoys me. I I don't, I truly don't understand. Like, I mean, 10 second violations are something that like should not be a concern. Like you have 10 seconds. Yes. You would like to use all the time you have available, but why put risk and put yourself in the position where you have to worry about the 10 seconds. That's what doesn't make any sense. And I know he's working a lot on his breathing yeah. and a lot of that sort of stuff that you can visually see, but it's like, okay, do you need six dribbles to recalibrate your breathing pattern and really find yourself in the zone? Or can that take three or four? And right there, that literally saves you two to three seconds. And the 10 seconds is nowhere near a concern. So and he's missing some of them too. It's not like he's been like lights out hundred percent from the free throw line. He's been missing a good amount of them. Exactly. You might be trying to get your breathing, like you said, breathing patterns unlocked and trying to get the focus, but it's like, really, all you need at the free throw line is two dribbles, maybe spin the ball in your hand a little bit, take a deep breath, and then shoot. And that shouldn't take you more than three, four seconds. But when you take up that full 10 seconds, it's kind of like it defeats the purpose because, like you said, now you're worrying. If you get to that eight, nine-second mark, it's like, are they going to call me for 10 seconds? And then you have to think about, oh, i got to rush this a little bit because you can't see the clock going. So I don't know if he cares. I mean, he obviously doesn't care because he goes two, three seconds over and the refs don't care about it. But it just gets un- it's annoying to watch because it's like you don't need that much time. You can't really, I guess, justify yourself for making that much time because, one, it'll defeat the purpose. And, two, it's just like, I don't know. It just seems like it's too much because there's a lot of guys who do a lot better that do a lot less. And, I don't know, Giannis just, I think he just needs to figure it out because this 10-second thing ain't working for him. Yeah, it's it's just so it's just so weird, I guess, in a sense where they have to worry about this sort of stuff. And the fact is, like, they're still winning, I guess, is this out of line. I mean, he shot horrific. Yeah. I'm trying to look up the exact numbers here from the how he shot from the free throw line. I believe it was. Yeah, it was four of nine from the line. That's 44 percent for you mathematics majors out there. That's not great. Less than 50% at the free yeah, throw not line. Solid at all. No, it's not very good. So, But the fact hard. is, Milwaukee's defense stepped up in an absolute huge way. They they really did a great job in uh, last night, or I'm sorry, not last night's game, uh, 
the their their last game in game three that brought them back to the two one. I mean that was I mean they shut they really kind of shut down the Nets. Yeah. I mean they kind of the Nets kind of started. Last time you saw a playoff game sub ninety both teams. Oh yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. Like, like you've seen that. I mean I don't even know last time I've seen it, but. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to give credit to that coaching staff. They really flustered the Brooklyn Nets, in the, especially in the first quarter. They were just inefficient, couldn't get anything to fall. Um, and there's just been times where it was like, man, this team does not look like the title contender. I mean, obviously, then they really kind of brought themselves back into where, they're, where they belong, got it back into where... Um, in the shape they were playing in previously in the second quarter, but then Bucks still held them out, and I think that was huge. I think that the Bucks now they have a little bit of a sliver, and that they can they now we can see a little bit like oh hey, they get yeah. this playbook on lock, and they can get really consistent and efficient on the defensive end early on. Like they're gonna have shots to win games, and the fact is like they got one done. There's certainly no reason they can't repeat it. But you know the Nets are going to get better. So, I mean, I think that this could be a very interesting series. But I think that the the firepower right now with the Nets, especially what we saw in Game 1 and Game 2, it's going to be kind of revitalized in Game 4. And we might see a 3-1. And, I mean, once it's 3-1, unless 2016 Warriors, Cavs, we can we can see what the, out, the writing on the wall is going to be in this series. Yeah. Is Harden back yet? Because, I mean, if Harden's mm-hmm. not back for this game uh, today, what is it? Three o'clock tip-off is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think if he's not back for the game, I mean they got a really good chance of tying up the series and getting some momentum going into the game, game uh, five and game six. So honestly, they have a good chance. I think they can really, if they can turn it around, kind of shut down at least either Kyrie or Kevin Durant. One of the two guys make one of them kind of overcompensate and kind of leave it to Blake Griffin or, or Joe Harris or somebody to kind of pick up the slack a little bit. I think that's where they're going to be able to get it done because I, if if they keep letting, just like uh, last game, I mean, if they let Durant and Irving have those 20, 30-point games apiece and then you kind of leave it for, like I said, Blake Griffin or Joe Harris to kind of pick up the slack a little bit, you got to be able to defend those guys because if not, I think that's where you're really going to have the problem is those uh, is those three, four-spot guys where they're not really getting the ball a lot, but when they do, they're knockdown shooters and they're a bucket. So once they shut them down, once Giannis can figure out his free throws, and if they can kind of lock it up a little bit more defensively and get that consistent like they did in Game 3, I don't see, I don't see any point where they won't win the game. But it's just, will they be able to kind of come back from this? I, are they going back to Brooklyn? Are they in Brooklyn now? Or are they going back to Brooklyn in Game 4? Or Game 5? I believe they were in Milwaukee last game so they'll be in milwaukee yeah. again tonight yes yeah I so mean, they have a good chance to tie it up it they need to tie it up before they go into brooklyn because i think if they go there even with i think it's limited capacity anyways but even if they go to brooklyn with limited capacity just seeing that seeing what we said in the last time we had the conversation of fans in this limited capacity setting where there's more focus on them i think uh books gotta win this game or you might as well just call it quick yeah, game four is such a, a vital piece. And, I mean, both teams really shot poorly last game. And we know how lethal the Nets can be from the outside if they're clicking with guys like Kyrie, Joe Harris, and Kevin Durant, of course. But then again, the Bucks have some shooters too. P.J. Tucker, uh, Chris Middleton, those guys can fill it. We're not going to put Giannis in that conversation oh, yeah. yet, but he still brings an impact. Everybody knows yeah. about that piece. <laughs> but moving into the, the last part of the NBA, 
really the question I think everyone's got on their minds right now. Is there anybody that is going to stop the Phoenix Suns, Joe? Because it don't look pretty right now if you're Denver. Honestly, honestly, I don't know. They've been playing so solid. Uh, the opening round, they played good. First of all, I think it's just tonight for a lot of guys. I think when it comes to playoff time, he just turns on another gear. I mean, we've even talked about it before. He's made every team that he's going better. No matter the circumstance, he's always made him better. And I think now that he's brought that kind of culture into Phoenix, who's had guys who are able to play really well. I mean, DeAndre Ayton, when he's able to turn it on, he's able to play really well. I mean, he might get drug tested because for some, because that's just the way the NBA works. But nonetheless, he's been able to play really well. Devin Booker, our guy, he's been able to play really well. And then pair him with Chris, uh, with Chris Paul, who knows how to facilitate a game, facilitate a team, and be a captain. That just adds to it. So I think if they can kind of keep this up and Chris Paul can keep up that reputation and, see, and show these guys that winning is the new culture for the Phoenix Suns, I don't think there's a team that could beat them other than the Brooklyn Nets if Brooklyn makes it that far and can get past the Bucks. But I'm really looking forward to what this kind of entails, especially for next round. And if uh, Phoenix can close it out, more power to them. I want to see them win. They've it's been it's been long overdue. Ever since the Steve Nash was on Phoenix, that was like the last time they've ever been good. So hopefully they can play well, play play solid. Because I really want to see them get the dub and, and kind of knock off Denver. As much as I hate to see it, especially with Nikola Jokic playing as well as he is. Uh, but to see Phoenix move on, that's why I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, right now, I think I think a lot of teams would definitely say that they would be they'd be rooting for Phoenix right now because they're kind of they're low key kind of the underdog. I mean, they're once they're a number two seed, obviously behind Utah, but like they haven't had a ton of success. I mean, we want to talk about true no. success that this team has had. We're talking Chuck Charles Barkley. That's how long ago it really was when this team was really business was booming. And then we could obviously bring in the Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire era, which would be the next best yeah, thing. But it's, it's been, been a long time. It has been, been a long, long time. time. But I mean, I would absolutely agree. Chris Paul and I mean, really, this the other guys have been absolutely huge in this game. I mean, I'm or in this series, excuse me, that. Like, you got guys like Cameron Payne off the bench that have been delivering pretty solid minutes. And, I mean, you got young guys like McCall Bridges. You mentioned DeAndre Ayton. And then, of course, D-Book. We absolutely love D-Book, what he does. Oh, yeah. Absolutely awesome. But, I mean, really, Denver's in a position where right now, I I don't, I'm trying to say, like, Jokic can bring them back in the series. But, I mean, I don't know what else you, want, you really want to ask from him. 20, 20 boards, He's been doing 10 assists, a lot already. 32 points. Like, I don't know exactly, like, oh, yeah, he needs to get 40, 30, and 20, and then the win. It's like, uh, well, yeah, that's basically nearly impossible. But go ahead and try that. But to me, it's the other guys Maybe that, that really have to step much, yeah. up. And, I mean, I, I honestly, I'm in the position right now, I don't think they're going to change as far as, uh, as far as starting roles and who's going to be in what position coming off the bench or starters, but Aaron Gordon hasn't looked great. And I know they that was a big splash deal that they made at the deadline to bring him in, but two of 10 in the, in the game three was pretty much, it was pretty close to garbage. He didn't have effect, excuse me, efficient minutes at all. And I, I think it just, it just really hurt. I mean, I'm not sure. He just doesn't look like the same. He doesn't look like the Aaron Gordon we were watching in, in his younger years, more looking more prime-like. Just hasn't been that same guy. And I don't know exactly if it's just the change and that he's just still adjusting, which could definitely be the case. But he's just not looking like 
the Aaron Gordon that we're accustomed to seeing, especially the guy on the poster boards in basically dunking a basketball, literally, and still getting robbed, of course. But, I mean, Michael Porter, Austin Rivers, we, Will Barton, Mark Smart, we need those. We need to see those guys step up because Jokic oh, yeah. is doing as much as he can, but we need to see more from them. But that's definitely going to be interesting. But before we move into college football, of course, you got to check out our podcast, the most valuable sports podcast, wherever you have your podcasts on platforms, whether it's on your phone, your computer, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and all the other platforms that are so beautiful on the internet. You can oh, go yeah. check out our podcast there. And if it's if our podcast is not on your podcast platform, you need to let us know absolutely immediately because we will try to make that happen. We'll get it but, set up. We'll get it set up. Yes. I mean, obviously, we need to have it on every platform so everybody can listen. But you can check that out there. But moving into college football, um, as Joe's screen is a little bit frozen, but you know what? It's fine. We'll just keep we'll just keep it moving. Um, the new, no, you're good. The new playoff format, the 12 team playoff format. This looks really interesting, Joe. I'm not gonna lie. What are your original like thoughts it. on it? Um, I, I think we had this conversation like three months ago. I think it was like the start of our. Or second semester we had a conversation of should the should the college football committee expand the playoff and i think we said 12 teams might be too much to move with eight but the 12 teams i like it we'll see a lot more chances for cinderella stories i'm kind of sick of seeing just on rotation it's just alabama clemson lsu like every once in a while you see notre dame or michigan or something like that get in there i'm glad to see more teams be able to get in there because yeah, you can make the argument, oh, it's just going to be Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, but now they have three more games to go. Are they going to be able to stay elite against elite teams for those three games? Are they going to be able to slip up? The, ch- the chances are low that they're going to be slip up, but nonetheless, it's just that chance that, hey, back when Western Michigan was 15-0 and and they, had, they were like ranked number seven and they were the MAC conference champions and they had a chance to get to the, get to the playoffs, if we had the 12-team playoffs, we could have seen them be able to get a, uh, a national championship. We could see teams like Cincinnati last year get a conference cha- or get a have a stab at the national championship. That's what I'm super excited about. It's kind of getting this kind of March Madness type Cinderella story where we might see an 11, like the 11 seed go crazy or like a 15 seed be able to be a two seed. Like, could you imagine if like I don't know, Notre Dame, if they're ranked like 10, beats Alabama. Just a big upset like that. I'm, that's what I'm most excited to see. It's just upsets, more more, more kind of fan-friendly uh, or kind of more fan-centered viewing where we'll be able to see more kind of, uh, I can't think of the word, but more just exciting games. Although it may be a low seed versus a high seed, nonetheless, you have that factor of Cinderella pushing in, and that's what I'm super excited for. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this... This playoff, like I'm looking into, like some what some people are saying about it, and I think a lot of it is giving more teams a chance, which I we love. I mean, that gives you yeah. just like what you mentioned, the Cinderella story is possible, especially for teams like going back to last year. Cincinnati was a fantastic football team. Their schedule in the American really screwed them. That's really what it came down to, and the fact is, like not giving them a chance was obviously a blow. Like I mean. You, you, as a small conference team, you're like, oh, well, what do we have to do to put ourselves yeah. in the position like, to make the playoff? Every team by 40 every year? Yeah. 
so and then make our case in front of the committee to get be able to put in the playoffs. That's the one thing that I always had a problem with was is like how are these small like how is a like a Western Michigan supposed to get into the playoffs? How is Cincinnati going to get in the playoffs? How is small like smaller teams like uh, I'm blanking, but like um, a Boise State, how are they supposed to get into the playoffs if they play really well? Like how are those guys going to be able to make a case for themselves where it's no doubt 100 percent that they deserve to be in the playoffs when the committee just has uh just wants to have Alabama, Clemson, and just a like a set group already put in the playoffs. And that's the one thing that I'm super excited is we'll see these small teams. Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing that I've found so far is why teams, or why I should say, not necessarily teams, but as coaches and uh, analysts and everything that are kind of opposed against the, they like the, the four team and that they should stay, is bringing in more teams isn't going to really change the outcome per se as far as paper concerned which i don't agree with fully but i kind of understand what they're coming from in the point of more games needing to decide who's the champion because when you look at it as far as uh, a journey aspect teams are playing already 12 13 games a year maybe a little less maybe a little more um, obviously we saw the less version a lot last year due to the covid um, the COVID protocol yeah. situations where teams would have to, some teams would have to lose two, three weeks of the season. <clears throat> Michigan, it's okay. Um, but I mean, now we're talking 12 games. Te- some teams are going to play possibly three to four games extra. Now you bring in the health concern. Now you're going to basically be playing near NFL's type schedules, which some people might not adjust well to. Um, and that now you're, now you're going into, the biggest game of the season with one of your least healthy rosters. Just just hypothetically speaking. Like if for example, if you were Alabama and you played in this format and you're playing let's just throw in Cincinnati hypothetically. If it was if it was a an eight an eight team playoff, hypothetically going off of last year, Cincinnati probably would have been the eight seed and would have probably drew Alabama. What if Alabama goes on and plays Cincinnati there might be a close play somewhere random time in the game. Maybe there's like third quarter and just a, a kind of a pointless time in the game. Alabama's winning that Saban's running his two minute drills looking ahead. And there's a, there's just a, a, a really ugly hit on Mac Jones. He twists his ankle. He's got, he's got a compound fracture on his foot. Now you're without your starting quarterback going into the actual important games. Now, is that more on Saban not pulling him out? It's just an example. But if that happens, like especially with some teams where they rely on huge talent, notably Oklahoma and their quarterback position, if that if you lose that, especially in a high-game tournament scenario, it might hurt your team, especially if you're a, a lower team where you're relying on your star power a little bit more than usual and really yeah. to make that run. That is a possibility. But at the end of the day, I think it gives more teams a chance, especially the lower seed teams. I believe it's uh, the uh, the top six uh, conference champions as far as rank is concerned. And then I think it's somewhere around the next like four, four highest ranked teams. And then I, I think there's like two high ranked small school teams. I can't remember the whole yeah. format off the top of my head because it's still, it's still like being up in the air as far as a proposal is concerned. But... I mean, I think it's I think it's cool. I don't I'm I'm not sure about 
you're just looking into the health situation. That's probably the biggest what if that scares me. But I think it gives more more lower seed teams a chance, and I think they deserve it because at the end of the day, like they can't do anything about their conference schedule. Like yeah, okay, yeah. Central Michigan has to go play beat all the MAC teams by forty, and they're gonna have to try to schedule Alabama, who won't even schedule them in that sort of situation. And now it's like, oh, well, what are they gonna do? Yeah, I think you can make the argument though is that like if a team is one talent heavy and like puts emphasis on that, like they run the risk of getting that person injuries every game they play. Like so say like Oklahoma, like they when Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts were all there, there was a large emphasis on those guys when they were in the quarterback position to have literally every play be like, okay, it's your discretion. Like, okay, you can run the ball. Like, we're going to make it so that way, like, every other play, you're running. Or every other play, like, you're, like, going to have, like, a like a option or something like that. So you run the risk already of if you have that one talent side heavy of, like, our, if our guy gets injured here, which the more you the more you put him in harm's way, the more of a possibility that's going to happen. I think, yeah, as later season goes on, you're more prone to injuries. But teams got to understand, like, if you're already doing that, you're already running the risk. Or it's not really that big of a deal. But, I mean, I think it makes it a little bit better because now you have guys who, like, when when there's a team that's a five seed that gets barely knocked out of the playoffs but they get a bowl game, their star players will sit out. Because they're like, the Orange Bowl doesn't matter. Like, what's the or- like I'm not going to care if like I win the Orange Bowl. I'm going to care when I get my first paycheck from the NFL. I'm not going to be injured. But now it's like, you get that national championship under your belt, you're a, you're a six seed that wins a national championship, and you're flirting with the second round, third round pick, and you able, you might be able to get a little bit higher draft stock if you ball out in the playoffs. Then we see guys who would normally sit out be able to play a little bit, and we'll see better football. And that's the one thing I'm super excited for is you'll have guys who I think are a little bit more self-centered be able to understand, like, okay, like this is where like the team's got to go. This is a big more team thing because I want to win the national championship. The team wants to win the national championship. It's the real deal. And I think... With this playoff format, it's going to change the way a lot of guys think uh, when it comes game time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I looked up the college football playoff there just to make sure that I had it right just for all the people at home. It would be the six highest ranked conference champions, which hypothetically, like SEC and Big Ten, and I probably you could probably throw in ACC basically going to be Clemson and Notre Dame if they decide to stay in the ACC, which they might go back to being independent. That's completely up to them. But, like, those teams are basically guaranteed in. Pac-12, Big 12, they're probably going to be in there too. So now, really, it's like, okay, who's going to be the next, as far as the Power 5, outside the Power 5, who's going to be the next conference champion? That'll be the six, and then the six next highest teams according to the rankings. So, hypothetically, looking at what was last year, we would probably we'd have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, A&M, or yes, no, sorry, Oklahoma. And like we'd have teams like Cincinnati, Iowa State, possibly Indiana in this college football playoff. Iowa State. Yeah, like those teams would all possibly make it. And that's kind of a, a bonkers thought, like going into it, like, oh, this is going to be a very interesting playoff. Now, again, it's going to be kind of March Madness where one versus 12, hypothetically, would be pretty daunting task. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, give them a shot. Because, I mean, if the better team wins, sure, you expected. But if they upset, 
now you're bringing the real height to Cinderella in college football. And now it's going to be even more exciting because at the end of the day, anybody can be, be beaten on any given day. So I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, that's the one thing is I think football viewers can really enjoy and kind of bond with this is it's going to bring a lot more hard-nosed football and a lot more gritty football because you're going to have a longer playoffs. It's going to playoff just brings the best out in everybody. And to see that for an extra two weeks, that's one thing I'm super excited for. Yeah, and college football is definitely exciting. And there's there's a lot of teams we can definitely watch out for. I know uh, me and Joe will be certainly eyed on the Big Ten as that's pretty much our, our hot spot here in the Midwest for college football. Oh, and our yeah. favorite teams are involved. But there is a lot of other teams that I'm really looking forward to to watching. And I think, uh, I mean, obviously, like Alabama, Ohio State are all going to be ones you're going to be looking at as far as how good they are because they're going to yeah. be the true championship contenders year after year. But I really think this, this I'm really excited to look at how this Clemson team is going to look. Because the last couple of years, we've seen pretty much the same roster that has grown chemistry, really grown with each other especially with Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, T. Higgins, um, just got drafted, Kamari Rogers, excuse me. You got all those guys that have been around for so long. It's kind of like second nature where it's like, oh, okay. Like this is a this is going to be a fantastic team. Now they're all gone. Now you're going to be looking at DJ Udalele as you're starting QB week one, and you're going to have a new tailback, and you're going to have new everything. And that's something that they're not necessarily used to all the time. Now, do they have new guys getting plugged in different spots every year? Sure. But now it's kind of a whole revamp as far as skill positions are concerned because a lot of them were drafted either this year or last year. So now yeah. that's going to be a team that I'm really looking forward to. And I know Dabu Sweeney's going to do a great job of putting the right people in the right spots. But it's just going to be a really interesting team to watch, I think, this year. Yeah, that's one team I'm really looking forward to. I want to see how Cincinnati bounces back. Uh, since that loss in the bowl game. I forget who it was, but it was one of their captains, their wide receiver. He just watched the whole trophy presentation by himself in the end zone. I'm really hoping that they're able to kind of turn it up and be able to have the same season, especially with the new format. They got a chance to make the playoffs, not get shafted out of, uh, and just get put in a bowl game. So that's one thing I'm super excited for. Another team that I'm looking, I'm not saying that they'll do super well, but a team I'm looking forward to watching and seeing how the season kind of starts up is Michigan State. Mel Tucker finally mm-hmm. has a, a a recruiting class that, that he went after, that he likes. He's not got, I mean, he still has guys from D'Antonio, but he's got guys that he knows that, that trust him and kind of got recruited by him. So that's a team that I'm wondering how well they're going to do, if they're going to be able to turn around. Because, I mean, they're not the Michigan State that they once were, but I think they're on the way to be turned around. I don't think they'll, you know, have only two or three losses by any means. But I think they'll do a little bit better than last year when they just kind of kind of crapped the bed a little bit against a lot of teams. They st- they still beat Michigan, but nonetheless, I think they'll still play pretty well. Yeah, and I I, I mean I kind of you kind of see that coming just because that's just the way it is. And I mean I, I I just laughed all the all, the whole the whole year. It's just whatever sport it is, whatever year it is, it really does not matter when it comes to this rivalry, Michigan and Michigan State, every year. I mean, I had some people that were diehard Michigan State fans in football, and they said, you know, I really think we're going to get crushed by Michigan. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a Michigan fan, but I, I know the history. I know what the numbers say. 
and they don't matter in this rivalry. It does not matter when you step on the field. Any team can win any given year. We saw that with Jalen Watts Jackson. I had that darn memory put on my Twitter feed somehow, and it still irritates me, but just punt the football, but it's it. Grown man, we're going to get over it. It's fine. But, I mean, they're going to be a good team to watch, and obviously we're going to get into them in a minute, I promise you. But um, I, I think also one team that I'm going to be looking forward to, not necessarily a team, but maybe more more strictly as a player, is North Carolina. And they're kind of a, a interesting team where we saw a lot of we saw a lot of players step up last year and really make an impact. And some of them are gone now, um, especially in the running game when you got just these dominant dominant tailbacks and now they're now in the NFL. And you got so many pieces as far as receivers that are now in the NFL. You got Dimey Brown, you got Daz Newsom, and then of course uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. I just mentioned at the tailback spot. Sam Howell is now kind of on an island with some new guys, and he's projected to be the number one QB in that draft next year. Some people say he's the Lions' guaranteed pick if they tank this year. So the reality is he's got a lot on the line. He's got a big-time season ahead of him to make a name for himself and boost his draft stock, and especially with new players, especially in in really what's going to be kind of a revitalized season back to normal, it's going to be really interesting to see how this North Carolina team's bounce back because they're not a team that we look for in and out every year with high draft picks, high success, conference championship hopes, national championship contenders. But this year could be one of them. I think they're in the top 10 right now in the odds, and Sam Howell's going to be the guy that's either going to put them in or put them out. That's really what it comes down to, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, definitely a guy to watch. I think my last team that I'm going to be watching out for it's gotta, it's gotta be Alabama. I'm wondering how they're gonna be able to bounce back, especially losing the two guys who basically got them, got them points with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones, both of them being gone. It's, I don't doubt that they're gonna have good guys replacing them, but it's gonna be how is the team gonna react to a new guy at the helm, not having the same type of firepower at the wide receiver position. How are they gonna kind of fill those gaps? Like I said, they're going to be able to fill them. I don't doubt that. But how close are they going to be to uh, to recreating that Mac Jones and Devontae Smith uh, that connection? And I think that's one team I'm going to be watching out for. I, they'll obviously do good. It's Alabama. But nonetheless, that challenge, I think Nick Saban is really open, uh, kind of tackled that with open arms and really trying to figure that out. And that's one team that I'm going to be keeping my eye on for sure at the start of the season. Yeah, definitely a good one. I'd also throw out LSU, too. They had a really, really underperform oh, yeah. last year. They got they got some steps to take, so that's also one. But, I mean, the SEC is always going to be fun to watch because there's so many good teams, and the Big Ten, too. So, yeah, it's going to be really sure, interesting. Sure. But speaking of Big Ten and Michigan State that we were just talking about, this is kind of a, a very interesting question. I mean, <laughs> I think last going into a year previously, I don't think we'd have any question that we everybody would select Michigan to win more games. This year, a lot more interesting with how we've seen the progression, how we saw some of these results last year with these two teams played. And I know after the first game with Michigan State, I believe it was Rutgers, to not look pretty for Michigan State. And then, of course, we know what happens laughter. But the question is, will Michigan or Michigan State win more games? I I don't know, man. I think it, here's what I'll say. I will say 
with I'll admit with slight bias, but I have reason to back it up. I will say Michigan, and I know I obviously you can see my Denard Robinson poster, and I think the biggest part of shoelaces. <laughs> yeah shoelaces man, um yeah he does not have shoelaces in that in that photo, so I think it's pretty cool. Anyway, back on track here. Michigan winning more football games, I think will happen, but. Don't don't jump on me all over yet if you're Spartans fan. I don't think it's going to be by five, six games. Not even close. It's going to be a one or two game division right now. Because what I would agree with you, Joe, Mel Tucker has shown that his players are buying in. Last year was not with pretty much as definition of a roller coaster as you can get with how that season went. But they oh, yeah. still they still figured it out. Like, like they they played well in parts of the, and if they can put that on a regular week basis, like they're going to be a legitimate team. And I mean, you look at some of these Big Ten teams, like Minnesota, supposed to be a really good team, did not show out last year. Indiana was great, and they really weren't expecting a whole lot. We see a lot of variance year after year, and especially with teams that come off of some bad seasons, and a lot of them come into play once they they start figuring out the system. And if Mel Tucker can figure out that system, like. Spartans are going to be on a good track, and I personally hope that we can that they can play better because I would love to see Michigan and Michigan State both playing well and then play each other. And, of course, we want to have more teams that can give that other team uh, a run for their money as far as championships are concerned. But, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. I will say Michigan wins more games, but one or two probably because I think that this Michigan State team might be a little bit of a slept-on team going into the season. I've seen what their, their records could... I don't, I don't know. I think they're going to win more games than people say. Yeah, I think I don't I I'd say Michigan is going to do better overall, but Michigan State is going to get some of those wins where you're not expecting them to. They're going to come in and they're going to kind of have the sneak win a little bit. It's going to be close like you said probably within a 2-3 game kind of difference, but Michigan State you can never count them out, especially in that big rivalry game. I mean, you got you got kind of that rivalry with Northwestern that the two have that they've been able to kind of uh, get the better of them. Uh, but it's going to come down to those big games where they have to play like teams like Minnesota, uh, Michigan, uh, you know, uh, Ohio State, if they're going to be able to play really well, or Wisconsin. Those teams that, you know, they're they're obviously the better team, but are they going to come in with a chip on their shoulder and they're going to buy into Mel Tucker's uh his philosophy and be able to get the dub and that's the that's the real thing that we got to watch for and hopefully they bought in because uh a coach having guys who just aren't there for the team and they're there for themselves is is very frustrating yeah and don't forget like last year both of these teams had two wins i absolutely crazy that we'd get this far if you asked me five years ago that both of these teams would end up with two wins in a season yeah i know it's covid shortened but still Two wins, man, that's crazy. Like we were, t- Michigan was two and four last year. Michigan State was two and five. I don't know the last time that happened, but boy, it's been way too dadgum long since I've seen that happen. But at, I mean, it's gonna be super fun. And I think with like looking at both of these teams, Michigan, we gotta get the defense better. That's priority number one. The offense is gonna shake itself out. We tried the Joe Milton experiment. It did not work as much as fan hyped it was. Yes, I'll admit, I was one. You can put me down. I was hyped for Joe Milton, but too, it didn't man. work, and we moved on. He just he has a, he has a freaking cannon. Like I don't know why you can get excited about that. I saw him throw one pass in the spring game it was a 60-yard dart down the sideline on a post for a touchdown. How do you not get excited about that? 
But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I hope he has a good a good time wherever he transfers to. Um, but I think we got to get that defense better. Don Brown is now not there anymore. So how that's going to change, how our scheme's going to change, could be a little interesting. Uh, but Michigan State, I think, is going to be another one because the, I don't know if you guys have, like, I'll, I don't know if everybody's been seeing, like, they're flipping recruits to Michigan State. Like, East Lansing is snatching some top five recruits and flipping some guys. They flipped one guy from, I think, Alabama. I was like, wait a second. What? What's going on here? Yeah, it was nuts. I think he was like a third string or second string guy. But still, he was at Alabama. Now he's at Michigan State. So at the end of the day, it's like, wait, what just happened? And now it's a little interesting how that's going to work out. But I think at the end of the day, like Michigan State's just really figuring out the pieces to the puzzle. They just got the box last year with all the pieces in it. Now they're starting to piece them together and see how everything's going to roll with Mel Tucker. I think you can put a little bit more expectations on them this year. Last year, don't need to. This year will be a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. It's, It's definitely something to watch. I don't know if you want to, Brandon, but we'll switch gears on over to MLB if you want to. Yes, go ahead. For sure. Uh, big question of a lot of the people uh, that have been kind of following the MLB is, what is going on with the Yankees, Brandon? They are just nowhere near uh, the top. They're, I mean, second to last in the AL East. They've been playing like garbage. I mean, they're, they're showing us much money as they have been to get all these players. They really have not been showing be one of the top tier teams i think their record is only maybe just over 20 wins of the season they're they're not as bad as the orioles just over 500 yeah just over 500 not as bad as the orioles but bad nonetheless in terms of uh yankees history but brandon what do you think is going on with them why do you think that they're not really kind of turning the page a little bit and kind of combating with both uh both the rays and the and the red sox Yeah, it's super interesting to see how this played out. And, I mean, you look at the AL East right now, and the Yankees are seven and a half games back. Yes, seven and a half games back in the division. They're three out of the wild card. But, like, they're getting outplayed by a lot of teams. And Detroit was one of them. Yes, Detroit was one of them. And that was super crazy. Like, this Yankee team has so many different pieces. And it's like... How in the world does this team, you're paying for these studs, like Garrett Cole, all of these great players, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo, what's missing? The consistency is what's missing. And the fact is, until that changes, this team is going to be bouncing up and down. And it's just, I don't know exactly what they need to fix the consistency part, because I mean... They're, like right now, they I believe they were like they won six or seven of their last ten a couple weeks ago, and this week they own they're they're four and six in their last ten. It just bounces up and down, and I don't really know, really like what that you need to what you need to change. And I mean, they should be grateful because hypothetically, looking at I I believe it's the um the X win loss, they should be five hundred exactly because of they've allowed 252 runs and they've scored 252 runs. So theoretically, they should be right split down the middle. But a couple of close wins got them up the extra game. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't really know. Like, they're just right. They're, they're just right average. I don't really know, like, exactly what they need to change. But, I mean, the rotation's been great and then it's been bad. Their hitting's been super streaky. And until those things get some more consistency, like we've seen with teams like Oakland and San Fran that 
don't spend as much money as the Yankees, but they're getting that consistency yeah. out of players. They're not going to be win. The Yankees aren't going to be winning the division this year. They're going to be hoping for a wild card. Simple as that. Yeah, Yankees all of a sudden just went from like getting snubbed by the Astros in the AL champ in the AL championship series to now just being not even in the conversation to being a wild card right now. They've just been playing so bad. It's just crazy to see like that they are at the point where they can just they're at the point where they're just I just don't know what they need to fix because they're spending so much money to get these top tier players and they're not producing, they're not playing well. But it's like, what do you do? Like, what do you have to say to them? It's like Aaron Judge not really performing too well. Garrett Cole is hot and cold right now. Like, their rotation is solid most of the time, but then there's the off days, and it seems like those are coming more often than not. And then you got John Carlos Stanton who's not really doing anything. So it's just a whole lot of whole lot of everything that's kind of culminating into one kind of like mess for them. And they just gotta kinda untangle all the all the loose ends that are causing them to slip into this bad kind of spell. And once they can do that, that's when they'll start kind of turning off. I don't think they have a chance of maybe making it to the divisional series or to make it to the wild card. They they, they kind of have that out of the window right now. Unless they go on a crazy, like, beat the record and get a 25-30 game win streak or something like that. But I don't think that's going to happen. But nonetheless, we'll see what goes on because they need to find out what's going on. They need to fix it, and they need to fix it soon. Yeah. And I will, I will point out one thing that the the Yankees don't do well that I've noticed this year. And I looked up the numbers just to check to see what the official number is. They only have 231 RBIs. Do you know what position that is in the or in Major League Baseball? Like I'd be like 25. Close. 27. Guess who's 26? Motown. Orioles. Yes, Detroit is has more RBIs than the Yankees. I'm just making up points that Detroit's better than the Yankees. But that's fine, because I'm a homer. Homer's going to homer. But, like, looking at a lot of the stats, 15th in batting average. I believe they were 10th in home runs, which is a little bit higher than average. Uh, 17th, I believe, or 14th. 17th or 14th in OPS. Like, they just haven't had the the, the up factor. They've just been up and down. And the consistency is flattening, or is just been so inconsistent, it's flattening them to average. So, I don't exactly know, like, what they need to do. There is one thing that they they could do is invest in more speed because I believe they're second to last in stolen bases in baseball. And like yeah, I know gotta, it's you gotta get that up. That's <clears throat> that's free. If you got speed, that's that's free runs. You got yeah. scoring position easily. That's free runs. Yeah, and I think the the big part of that is like they don't have a lot of speed on their roster. I mean, it's the guys I already mentioned, and I think they've they've kind of lost some of those guys that. I would say as far as um excuse me as far as speed was concerned cuz I think really uh Ellsbury and Gardner were those guys for a long time you throw in Jeter with his intelligence that could steal some bags the fact like they just lost a lot of their speed and I don't like they're going to need to put in a lot of younger players in order to get that back up but I mean at the end of the day it's just the Yankees have just been inconsistent and I think that's really it's been kind of a common thread the last couple of years, and it's just kind of alarming to see to see how that's going to play out, especially when you got all these other teams that are being playing more consistent, like Tampa Bay and Boston, that are flying up the divisional rankings and giving them a run for their money. But at the end of the day, 
Um, it's going to be interesting. But I will tell you one person that is pretty darn consistent that they could look for. That man's name is Jacob deGrom. I mean, my goodness. This man. Degrominating. Yes. He is degrominating. I should have put, we should have had the, the production team put that in the, the drop down right here. Just degromination. Yeah. But anyway, it is absolutely fantastic to see this. But I will say this. The Mets don't deserve Jacob DeGrom. I'm sorry. I had to say it. I don't exactly. Turn around though. They've gotten guys to, they got Jacob DeGrom and before they just didn't really have a lot, but they've got guys now. I mean, they got Francisco Lindor who's been able to kind of turn around, give them a little bit more of consistency on the defensive side, as well as a little bit more consistency on the offensive side. So I will say that they're getting guys around him, but it sometimes just seems like, man, his talent is just getting wasted right now because he was already dominating like five years ago. And people are like, how much better can he get? And now he's cooking it. Like, he's throwing 100-plus, like, almost, like, every two, three pitches in a row. He's been able to absolutely dominate. And it's just it's just crazy because, like, you don't want to waste his talent, especially if someone's a Mets fan. You don't want to waste the ground being there and to have that ticking time bomb of seeing, like, man, like, they're not utilizing me here. Like, well, like I, I'm way better than what they're kind of treating me right now. Like, they should be getting guys around me. And so that way, when I do come out for my turn of the rotation, we get a guaranteed win. Because I can only do so much as a pitcher. Like, I can, like he can easily hold people scoreless through seven. Easily. But if his offense comes in and they also are scoreless through seven, it's only as long as, like, that kind of piling on top of you, you can only hold that off for so long. And they got to really get going of getting him some tools uh, to work around him so that way they can get more wins, especially when he's not up or not pitching on the day. Because once they can do that, give him some more breathing room when he comes in, they'll be set. Yeah, and I, I should I should kind of re, reevaluate the picture that I'm saying when I mean the Mets don't deserve Jacob DeGrom. And the, what I basically mean is, like, the, Met, like, the Mets have kind of fleeced Jacob DeGrom a little bit. They haven't really given him... Like, Jacob DeGrom should not be in the... He should... Okay, let's say this. He should be in the category with Garrett Cole. He should be in the category with all these other top-tier pitchers. And he he's not getting paid that much. And what I really mean by that the Mets don't deserve DeGrom is, like, DeGrom is worth so much more than he's getting. And he's been in the same spot, and he's went through the torturous years. Like, Mets have kind of just haven't done a lot. Now, I will agree this year. Yeah, and I think the the big part of like this year, I will agree, has turned around a little bit. They are up in the they're NL East right now. They're winning the division. I think that's great. Um, I I won't I I will say that I'm not sure they're going to win that division personally, just because I really like what the Braves do and how they yeah. amp up in stretches along near the ends of seasons. So that's one reason that I think that they might win the division instead of the Mets. But the Mets have been doing great. I mean, Pete Alonso. They have Francisco Lindor, Kevin Pillar. A lot of these guys have been doing great, and that's a team that has some speed. The team next door might need to figure out how to get some more speed like the Mets do. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, Jacob DeCrom is just, he's just fascinating to watch. I mean, you look at a lot of these stats where, like, DeGrom has, it seems like every year at the start of the season, like, you look up, every time he's at 100-plus, um, 100-plus, 100 mile per hour pitches in the season. The next highest guy, as far as starting pitchers, is like 10. 
or seven. It's not even close. And just the arm strength he has, the locations of his fastball, the intelligence. Like, he does not walk a lot of guys. He absolutely dials in. He's He's like Greg Maddox with an absolute rocket for an arm. It's kind of crazy to think about it, but just the efficiency. Greg I think if he took steroids. Okay. I don't know if Degrom's a steroid guy, but we, no, yes, I, I don't. <laughs> if Maddox took steroids, he'd be a Degrom level guy. Yeah. Okay. I I can see where you're kind of going there, but I mean, just the the beautiful, just watching him throw is like phenomenal he has a so here's the stats this is i this is crazy and this is also another point i was going to make about the mets not deserving jacob Grum. they have a hard time winning when he pitches and it's not is jacob de fault it's not his fault they're six and two six and two remember this six and two record when he's on the mound in the 10 games he's played and he started all 10 games 0.56. 0.56. That's his ERA. 0.56. That's not reliever numbers. That's in 64 innings of work. He's only given up 26 hits in 64 innings. That's almost one in every third. One hit every three innings. He has two losses. Two losses. 103 strikeouts. 0.5 whip. You know what opposing team's bad against him? One, two, one. One hit in basically not. nine ABs. And he has two losses. That's what I'm saying. The run support against him has been absolutely garbage, and that needs to change. But this year it has changed. So it is new ownership, though. I will say that. Yeah, they definitely got to get some people. Because like, if he's got two losses with an ERA of that mag- of that. That low of an ERA to show how much he's dealing, he has two losses. That's just you can definitely tell that's not his fault. He's they, he just got to get some help around him on the offensive side. But, yeah, and I mean you give Steve Cohen credit because he's got he went out and got those guys like I just mentioned, like Francisco Lindor, raising Pete Alonso, getting on other good role players like James McCann. That has helped this team. So I'm really excited what the Mets can do. Um, some other teams to watch, Joe. I mean, of course, we're going to be watching our Tigers because they're doing pretty decent right now. Yeah, okay. They're doing all right. They're doing good. They're not great, but we didn't expect them to be great. They're overexceeding expectations in my book. I mean, I believe, if I remember correctly, 26 wins right now, 26 and 38. Is that right? Or those flipped around? They're not over. One of the two? Over 30. I think they're second to last in the AO Central. Yes, yes, I am double checking, but my Wi-Fi is being a slight bit slow, but that's fine because the show goes on. But I mean, um, I I mean, I was honestly saying, you know what? Above 60 wins, we'll take it after the 47. I don't want to see a four in a win or a 40 number in a win column ever again. Okay, here's finally look. It was 26 to 38, which is tied with the twins right now. Let me point that out. So. Uh, but I mean, we got the game today um, on Sunday, the 13th against the White Sox. Not pretty last night. Not pretty last night. 15 and two. I was at a I was at a Whitecaps game last night, and they have the uh, score of the Tigers game like on the scoreboard. And I was like, oh dang, we're up 2-0 in the seventh. That's sick. And then I look up there like two innings later, and it's like, oh, final 15 to two. And I'm like, what happened? 
Yeah, what what has what, transpired like, in the last five minutes? For <laughs> fifteen runs in two innings. I don't understand. <laughs> no, it's it was crazy. They just piled them on. I think for innings three to five, it was just insane. That White Sox team is super explosive. I think they've scored like the, I want to say like close to like top five runs scored in baseball. I know they're higher than the Astros. If that gives you an idea of how great that team has been offensively. Or no, they're only, I think, trailing Houston. So, still, though. I mean, that, that team's been really, really kind of figuring it out. Maybe Tony, Tony La Russa was the answer after all. But here, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I think the White Sox are a team to watch. The way they've been playing right now has been, I mean, has really been fantastic. They do. If they, I, the, if they keep up the momentum and they keep the way they're playing up and how, fat, how much runs they're able to score and the bats will stay hot, even sporadically, if they stay like just kind of stagnant throughout the year at a pretty solid rate, there's no chance that they won't be able to make it to the ALDS at least. They'll probably win the AL Central most likely. I mean, they did. I think they did last year. They'll probably keep it up. Um, but there's not really a team in the AL Central that I can see overtaking them. And I think that's the one good thing that uh, that's kind of at their disposal is they're they're in control and they'll probably stay in control of the central and they'll give them pretty good momentum when they go to the divisional series near the end of summer but i think they're one of the, they're definitely a team to watch i think that's going to be my team that's going to i think i'm going to call it as my 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 uh al al champions most likely i'm going to call it right whoa now. all right that is time that i'm staying for britain one o'clock 6 13 2021 joe Nagy's infamous call that the White Sox will. The Sox are gonna win the AL 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 championship. ALCS, that's his bold. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, I won't be that bold. I'll say they'll make it to ALCS and or I'll, I could see them making it to ALCS and lose to Tampa, or honest honestly, I could see. Sorry, cheaty, or sorry, every anti Astros fan. Houston could make it there. With their offense. Sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to make you all depressed. I, I, I'll give you that. They are good. They can probably make it that far, but it's just, I think White Sox are better. But Yeah, no, no. I think the White Sox are more explosive. And, I mean, <laughs> we saw that last night. I should have been a different team, but it's fine. But, I mean, there's a lot of other teams that I think are pretty good. Not not degrading the White Sox, but, I mean, I think, like, I think Boston right now is a team that you should be kind of just putting them your under your radar just a bitch uh they're two games out of tampa right now which tampa is expected to be on top of the ALDs for a reason they're a really solid chemistry team kevin cash has got that team pretty much rolling basically another day another dollar let's win another game type deal and it's pretty crazy i mean they've got the most wins in major league baseball right now i believe with 41 yes yes so, but um that's going to be a team that i'm going to be looking uh, Boston's going to be a team that I'm looking forward to to see how they respond to Tampa because that team's like... And Chris Sale. Chris Sale was on the mound at their practice the other day. He's starting to deal a little bit. First yeah, he's... 2019, so he starts to come back, back. At the right time, start to pull up. I think what, our Red Sox are going to be able to really kind of take control of the AL East too. Yeah, I mean, with him back and the way that offense has been going, I mean, that's going to be... I mean, they're also pretty... I think they're I think they're the one of the let me check before I make my just wanted to make sure. Yeah, if they can get their defense a little bit more solid, because I think yeah, I just looked it up to make sure they are top three in errors committed 
if they can keep that under wraps and they're still they're still top or there'd be the basically two wins under the top team i think that'd be that'd be ranked around five or six as far as mlb as far as wins are concerned and they make the third most errors they cut down the errors they get their pitching up sale comes back that offense is as good as it gets i mean they could be a team that overtakes tampa and that you can that can be runner or running up contenders to teams like the white Sox and the race and the astros in the al the nl i don't know what's been going on in san fran but holy cow i have not been aware of it it is absolutely bonkers 40 wins for the giants right now and they've not scored 300 runs that's called defensive efficiency and pitching studs that's that's what that team's doing absolutely insane i mean i it is so cool to see like that's a team that reminds me a lot of like the denver nuggets in the nba not necessarily as high of a firepower team but they're making it work the chemistry they're making it work fundamentally solid they're making it work it's just it's just working i guess you could equip them more to new york knicks this year but still i mean san fran has been fantastic they've basically been the best pitching team uh, in baseball yeah they're nowhere near that uh one that uh like i think it's like 2010 to 2014 span where they won like oh yeah that that team was insane but they they have glimpses of being a team that can really show out and do the right thing so uh it's a it's that's one team i'm kind of looking forward to as well i'm glad you brought that up brandon Mm -hmm. yeah san fran Honestly, I just want to watch the NL West. That's all I want to watch. The San Fran playing how hot they are in a division with the Dodgers and the Padres. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I think it's going to be, I think that's, I think here, here's what I'll say. One of the NL West team, I'll make, I'll make my call today too while you did, Joe. One of the NL West teams will win the NLCS, whether it's San Fran, Dodgers, or the Padres. So whichever team gets out of there, if not multiple, hey, maybe we'll have a wild card. Maybe we'll just have an NOS showdown. Like I would honestly, personally, no, no disrespect to San Fran, but I would love to see an NLCS of the Dodgers and the Padres. That would be absolutely fantastic. But at the end of the day, they're gonna have to worry about some other teams. But I will say one of the NOS teams is going to probably win the NOS, whichever of those teams may be. But it's going to be really interesting. Uh before we get into our final debate topic, as we've kind of been debating the last five minutes. Don't forget to check out Podstock on Spotify, Anchor, Apple to follow the music industry with Jax and Evan. More episodes coming out soon, especially this fall. And if you want to make your own podcast, don't forget to check out Bulldog Radio. But moving into our final debate topic, it's a good one today as well. I know there's this one's probably going to be a little bit, I don't want to say controversial, but I think there's so many options that you got to respect whatever we pick. But at the end of the day, we got him. We could skip. Yeah, there's some that could skip our minds, but like, there's some that are just so iconic that it's pretty, pretty easy to choose. Absolutely. So call your shot today. What is the greatest sports movie of all time, Joe? I will give you the honors. What is your selection? There's a couple, honestly, that really, that like have my mind. But I think number one for me has got to be Miracle, the story about the of uh, the eighties. The 80s um, uh, U.S. hockey team beating the Soviets uh, when no one else thought they would. Just a bunch of college kids coming in, being able to beat just the best team in the world for like the past like 20 years. 
and able to come in, especially at Lake Placid. Uh, it's just a story that's insane. Uh, um, incredible acting. They use actual hockey players, so the so the actual game scenes are more realistic. I mean, the act you can, you say the acting's not as good since they use actual hockey players. I will give you that, but uh, it's just. It's just a it's just a movie that really gives brings you goosebumps and it, it whenever you hear that just those game scenes you're on the edge of your seat you know what happens already but you're you're tensing up you're on the edge of your seat and you kind of celebrate as soon as a goal is scored or anything and that's kind of what uh, a sports movie is all about is bringing you back to those moments even when you've never experienced it but when you have a chance to do it that's the big thing mm -hmm. and that's why I think Miracle is my favorite movie or sports movie yeah. Yeah, I would totally. I'm so mad that you took that pick, Loki. Like, I I feel like that was one that's gonna be on my list, and I finally just got to rewatching it last year during COVID, and it was absolutely fantastic. Like watching it start to finish was Great a good movie. one. I'm Loki. I'm Loki mad that you stole that one, but you know what? It's fine. Um, one that I will throw in there. I oh man, it's so tough. Like, there's so many good options. Like. There's some there's some options that are great. I don't think they're the greatest, but they're definitely iconic in their own right. The Sandlot, aka being one of them. Um, it's not gonna be my favorite, but it's like yeah, that one could definitely top the charts oh, yeah. as far as iconic like pictures. Of, I think that's one of the best sports comedy movies. Like one of those ones that's like one of the oh one hundred percent. There's different yeah. genres too of sports movies. There's kind of like the like the biopic. There's like the epic kinds of like the actual like kind of like miracle it's kind of like the recap and stuff like that and there's like the sandlot which is a little bit more comedic i mean there's other stuff like i mean there's like eastbound down which is like the comedic stuff bull durham and stuff all that mm -hmm. kind of like kind of all those movies but you really can't go wrong with a lot of those but what are you gonna say brain yeah no i absolutely agree i think uh i think personally like knowing a lot of I I really think that I think honestly the undisputed greatest of all time sports movie probably remember the Titans honestly because of the his, I would I think that one probably I think that has to be the top one on my list and I I don't want to I I okay I, here's the thing I hate taking the consensus pick cause I want to I want to have my own personal touch on it but that movie's just too good not to put at the top just the the whole timeline of how this team goes basically from the nobodies to the everybodies and like they they it's such an emotionally attached movie that you have all of the inclusion coming in you have the new change and the the whole part of it everything gelling together for a common cause especially in that era with the comedic parts with the real life elements to it it just makes the movie so great. And I think that's just something great that story. everybody can take parts from. And it's just a fantastic movie. I think that one's going to have to be at the top yeah. of my list. It's a great story. I mm -hmm. mean, it, about, I mean, Deep South, back in, what is it, the 60s, 70s? It's, it's, it's a story just about how a bunch of high school kids who have it, and some of them have it engraved in their minds, like with the deep, with, I mean, the, you know, racism and stuff like that. You had to have it engraved in their minds. Then you toss in T.C. Williams gets merged with the all-black school. There's whites and blacks going to school together, especially during that time period, especially in the geographic area where it's at, and to show that there's guys who have the common love of football, like two coaches who, you know, butt heads, and they're able to come together, 
be able to go undefeated and then win that state championship, and as well toss in with Gary Bertier getting hit or uh, in that car accident. It just it's yeah. a whirlwind of emotions when you're watching it. It makes you feel happy. It makes you feel sad. There's shock. There's awe about it. It's just a great movie, and it's a feel-good one too. And I think that's on. That's one of my favorites too. I think that's a great choice, Brandon. Great pick. Yeah, I was not laughing at the Gary Bertier uh, car accident. I literally just like looked up and I repictured the the lunchroom scene in my mind, and that one gets me every time. But um, I can't re- I can't remember his name, but the the offensive lineman that brings everybody together with his with his hilarious singing. Yes, that that just came in my head when you were just talking about parts of the movie. So, um, I it was yeah, it's great. Uh, I think you could um throw in a couple honorable mentions for sure. I think. Um, kind of st- like in the football category, as far as real life, I think Friday night lights ironically sheds a light that a lot of people don't understand. Like Texas football is different. It, it's truly not comparable to any other high school state. It just is it just, the, just to see all the elements and everything that goes on within it is just absolutely insane. Uh, as far as, um, I personally am a big fan of Moneyball because I love the, really good. I love the analytical side that people don't see as far as how um, statistics and new um, numbers really kind of change that team for a while and the whole um, everything that goes on behind the scenes. I love that sort of stuff. And then, of course, being a runner, McFarland's great. It is more of a family-oriented that movie. That was a movie that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did, but I like the movie. It it's really a good cool. story. And it's a true story. It is a really good story. So that I would really say that. Too. That's a, that, those are really good picks, Brent. I think I got to go, when I was a kid, I would always watch Mighty Ducks. That's one of the yes. comedy movies. Great and movie. One, two, and three. They're a little bit corny. Now that I watch back on them, there's some jokes and stuff that aren't as good as I remember them to be. But nonetheless, that's one of like, when you think of like a sports movie, that just pops into your head. It might not be the best one you've not seen. It might not be the worst that you've seen. But it's still one of the most iconic sports movies, nonetheless. That's probably one of my honorable mentions. Um, I can't really some of I I know other ones, but some of them are just escaping me right now. No, I, I kind of I kind of figured you'd pick that one just because it was a hockey one. But no, there's no industry. Yeah, you're just a hockey guy. No, oh, I think that. I know good. what I was gonna say. I know what I was say? gonna say. Greatest game ever played. Oh. That movie is incredible love that movie that might that honestly might be my most favorite sports movie that one that one's fair i that one's one that i haven't really gotten into a whole lot so i'll have to i might have to rewatch that one it's kind of skimming my mind right now but um golf one it's about uh i forget his name but it's about the youngest per i think it's the youngest person win the u.s open i think he was came in as an amateur yes 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 now that's beating harry bard and all them yeah, 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 I remember. I remember parts of it. I have. I gotta I watch it from start to finish. So yeah, there's a lot of great movies out there, and especially oh, yeah. in. You know, I gotta have to rewatch some this summer. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into another lovely episode. Uh, it has been great to get out and make content again, and we appreciate you guys sticking with us after a hiatus. Don't forget to subscribe to Bulldog Radio to make sure you don't miss out on anything, and don't forget to check out the MVSP on YouTube to check out all the great episode segments individually you can check it out on that channel the link will be in the description once again we thank you for your view and we will get travis out next time hopefully 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 he'll be here he's a little slacking today but can't blame him 
<laughs> no, he's got stuff to do. We all got stuff to do. Oh, yeah. So the fact is, Crazy we'll stuff. get him back, and we will have a great show. Maybe we'll get a guest on. Maybe. We'll see if Maybe. we can figure something Maybe. out. Do you want a guest on the show? You know what to do. Follow us on know. all of our Instagram, and message us on Twitter, social media. MBSP. Exactly. But until next time, guys, we will see you later. Take care, everybody.